All right. No, well, no, we have to do this. Happy birthday, Kirk. <laughs> happy, Thanks, Chuck. Happy birthday, Chuck. I gotta, Thank you. And happy birthday, Chuck. I'm sorry I missed your party. The, uh, I got to explain this story to all the listeners real quick because this is <laughs> a happy funny. birthday, Mark. Did you, you miss that text? Yeah. Damn, man. Hold on. This <laughs> is the <laughs> biggest <laughs> cluster birthday. Whoa, 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 whoa. You didn't realize Mark's birthday too? No. Yeah. yeah. Are we just doing this? Chuck within missed out the whole Three within time. 11 days. Three within 11 days. Oh, wow. Yeah, Chuck happy birthday, happy birthday, Mark. Sorry about that. So What's funny, the funny day? sequence Six. of events here in the office today. You know, Chuck had his birthday party at the house and- you know, Kirk didn't show up, and so Chuck's like, Kirk, why don't you show up to my birthday party? And Kirk's like, I didn't get an invite. I didn't know about it. And so we go, and we see the evidence. You know, Kirk's like, oh, I got the email, but the actual invitation picture didn't load, so he didn't know about it. And then, you know, Chuck asks, he's like, well, when's your birthday, Kirk? And I don't know what Chuck was getting at, but it sounded like he was going to, like, come, like, get paid back on you, like, not show up to your birthday party whenever it is. I would and, never, but anyway. And Kirk said it's, it's in 364 days, and Chuck's like, wait, your birthday party was yesterday? And we had this whole group chat yesterday that <laughs> talked about it, and Chuck just, Chuck says he was hungover and sleeping all day, so. The last person left my house at 4 a.m. Jesus Christ. And Mark sent his text at 6.35 yeah. a.m., so. No, that's, that's understandable, but. And I, and I got a response that, Around 5.30 p.m. Yeah. yesterday. Yeah. Just this, it's like the three Scrooges, this whole misunderstanding. The Keystone Cops. I'm glad you're here to, to make we're, this all right. We're the thoughtful leaders in energy, and we can't even get a birthday By straight. the way, when are we going to get a sponsor for the mugs? Oh, we need a mug sponsor? Hey, if or you're something. out there, I will... Uh, yeah, you got to I will even... Yeah, I will, I will pour it into the mug. We will... We will let's work on that. Let's work we'll on, on some sponsorships. Sponsor. So what do we got? Uh, what do we got on the docket? No, today? we got to start with this because this, since we're talking Keystone Cops, the Apple commercial. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so this Apple commercial, did y'all see it? On, yeah, yeah. So you know they do this very cheesy commercial where it's uh, Mother Nature, you know, coming through the trees into the office, and she's ridiculing apple for their net zero emissions and this whole commercial is for launching this new net zero product which i believe is the apple watch the new apple watch that's coming out and anyways i don't know if it was the chief esg officer at apple or head of environment whatever still have one, yeah. yeah whatever the title is but you know she stands up and she says you know we're working to permanently remove all carbon from the atmosphere and that part of it just stood out to me because who's going to tell her I posted over on Twitter, this picture of a frozen earth. It's just earth frozen solid. And I was like, it's like, this is a picture of earth when Apple removes all carbon carbon from the atmosphere circa 2030. (laughs) It's like, I don't think people understand what they're actually talking about or saying in these things because yes, Hey, you can remove, you know, your emissions work to get net zero, but permanently removing all carbon from the atmosphere doesn't sound like a good time for life on planet. The vegetarians all got together and we're like, no, yeah. don't take our food away. <laughs> or they probably didn't even get it either. It was the actual plants. I think it was actually got together. Was it John Kerry that just came out saying that the farmers in the United States need to stop uh, growing crops because it's ruining yeah. the environment. Yeah, I saw that. I mean, there's a war on farmers right now. You've Absolutely. Seen this well, you saw their European countries. Yeah, Netherlands um, for sure. Yeah, Netherlands. Yeah, and so huge war on on farmers. Um, I don't know if y'all saw that tweet. That Let's I get an ag 
ag tech sponsor for the mugs. There we go. I like that. Kirk's just Kirk's in sales mode today. Pan, I love Pan it. Him John Deere Green. I love yeah. that. John Deere Green. I like that. The uh, you know, I'd posted this other picture on Twitter, and it was a picture of a T Rex and a burning earth. And I was like, you know, maybe if dinosaurs would focus more on ESG and carbon credits, they wouldn't have died of <laughs> climate change. I always thought and, it was uh, an asteroid that killed them, but is that well, is it was, that, is that but science fiction? Well, no, the asteroid uh, created very uh, volatile climate change, and so happens asteroid hits. And then boom, you have all of this debris. And so one, you go into an instant, like everything burns, right? And so forests, everything are on fire. They say the dinosaurs probably died within like a couple months, like all life. And then what happened is all the ash created a winter because it shaded out the sun. Yeah. And the only living life was if you were underwater or underground. And then- Or Keith that, Richards. <laughs> <laughs> and then at that point- even at that point, you know, 90, 95% of all the, of those species were wiped out too. I, I just want to, I mean, my, I've, I've watched a few like documentaries, but why do they always say they died instantly? Cause I just don't believe that everyone that dies, you're like, they died instantly. Well, no. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on, you said two months. So it depends on the time horizon. I mean, all you right. think million, hundreds of millions of years to evolve to that point, And then within a matter of months, it's all dead. So on a long enough time horizon, it does. That could happen like to us. It very much so could. A, a I don't nanosecond think that, or less on the geologic time scale. Yeah, exactly. But I don't I, think that we I, take that threat serious enough of asteroids hitting. I Earth. will say though, the reason I came in 2010 to get into oil and gas is because I believe that it's going to be oil field services, the drillers that are going to get on a spaceship, probably, probably on one of uh, Elon Musk's spaceships, yeah. and they're going to drill this asteroid. And blow it out of the orbit heading our way. <laughs> Tell Bruce they made a Willis. Movie on that. Yeah. I think Bruce will. I, I love that. You know, I was always kind of salty that, you know, I wasn't cast for Deepwater Horizon. Damn. If they make a remake of Armageddon, I got to be on that. Nice. This, this is my pitch. Right. <laughs> Whoever's out here watching, if so you make my, Armageddon, that's me. My favorite reptile Keith Richards story is Keith Richards walking through a pet store and the owner's like, Hey, this turtle actually lives to be 300 years old and all. It's great pet and all. And Keith goes, ah, oh, just like that turtle. You just get to know it and then it dies on you. <laughs> Have y'all ever watched the show? It's on Netflix called Ancient Civilizations. No. It's really interesting with this because um, guy goes around and looking at all of these um, landmarks in these these mounds. And there's actually... One of them's in Louisiana. I didn't know that Louisiana had so so many mounds from ancient civilizations. And the very uh, peculiar thing about all of them is that they're um, built within alignment of true north. And they were tracking the stars with it. And essentially the whole thesis here is that humans are actually much older than what archaeologists um, um, officially credit. And that they were wiped out by severe climate change and flood. And we and he thinks that the the hypothesis is is that they were so obsessed with the sky because mm. they wanted to be able to track like when asteroids were going to hit the Earth because that's oh, what killed everyone. That's so, interesting. Yeah, it's super interesting, and it's also interesting because if you think about modern day humans, like we don't look at the stars because there's so much light pollution, right? Like we've lost our we've lost our connection with space. Like we just don't think about space. No doubt. And, and so I've been thinking about those things a lot but i do not think that we take the threat of asteroids hitting the well, planet seriously now that you talk about ancient civilizations i was at birthday dinner last night uh -oh. 
thank you for for the well wishes. <laughs> did, you, did you miss the invitation? <laughs> and yeah. and at the dinner table was this question. I was asked, "How often do you think about the Roman Empire and Roman civilization?" I was like, "I don't know, maybe like two years ago." Boom! On my phone pops up learning about aqueducts, which I actually am fascinated by. The Romans and oh, there's a aqueducts. there's a meme going around that's like engineers today can't build without AutoCAD and Dude, it's <laughs> amazing. engineers back. It's then. amazing <laughs> what they've built. But the question is, supposedly men think about the Roman Empire. All the time. Well, so, Colin no, Chuck, came in, Chuck came into the office this morning. He's like, hey, why all of a sudden is everyone talking about the Roman Empire? Is this like a thing? And I was like, yeah, it's a meme that just blew up. But it's funny because I didn't know it was a thing. And someone asked me, they're like, hey, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And I was like, honestly, I was like, I think about pre-Romans more the Greeks. You know, I got a picture of Alexander the Great hanging above my desk because like that's more my my era. And um, and then I get over on Twitter and I see like people talking about it and I was like, oh, is this like a real? We also have a life size version, which is not very big, of you hanging out of of uh, Digital Wildcatters headquarters. Oh yeah, we got the the bobblehead. Well, the, in, the, the, in the window. My Roman awareness is really sparked by the the long running meme video clip from Life of Brian where <laughs> he's selling concessions. <laughs> <laughs> I have no and idea. And he encounters the People's Front of Judea, and they ask him how much he hates the Romans, so he wants to join the People's Front of Judea, and he says, a lot. So that was the only criteria way, to, to join the group. George Harrison financed that whole movie. Which I knew is, that. But you, talk about, but you talk about the Romans and ancient civilizations, and let's tie this back into like energy and material science, because just recently, a couple months ago, I think we talked about it on BDE, but we discovered how the Romans made concrete and it's better concrete than we have today. We did but, talk about this before. Yeah. I think we talked about self-healing basically. Yeah. And so really just when you think about energy, material science, engineering, you know, with the aqueducts, really interesting topic. War. To, we, I mean, we still, you, we, we come up, we organize our army based on how the Romans did. Yeah. And yeah. I'm ripped like a Roman soldier. There you go. <laughs> Okay, last last thing. Chuck's like, okay, next topic. No, no, no. Last thing on Rome is the Romulus Augusta Lewis, something like that, was actually the last Roman emperor in 476. And everybody thinks that was the collapse of the Roman Empire. It went on for 200 more years. They just didn't have an emperor. The Senate was basically running things, which is interesting. I didn't know that. Mm. I always... Kind of thought, boom! It just fell. But did no. you know Cleopatra was Roman? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't just Egyptian. She was descendant of Alexander the Great's one of his generals. But anyways, interesting stuff. Let's do this. IEA says we're getting rid of oil <laughs> this decade. <laughs> Are we done talking about not Romans? quite? <laughs> not quite. There was what an they F say there was an FT piece. I call it a teaser that uh, Fatih Birol, who's the executive director of the International Energy Agency in Paris, wrote uh, teasing the forthcoming report on calling, and the word will was used, peak demand for fossil fuels within this decade. And so that was well covered. He was given a front page editorial within this page. Within decade, like within – by 2030? Yes. It was, it was short on specific quantification and I mean, also regardless. It, with before before the end of 2030. Yeah. We, and haven't, so, we haven't hit P 
peak wood burning yet, right? <laughs> I mean, we're still burning more wood today for fuel than we ever have in the history of the planet. Well, and in the OPEC Secretariat issued a press release rebuttal that was very thoughtful and long on facts and pointed out really the danger of making these emotionally driven type of prognostications and really deflecting energy policy or distracting energy policy making um, dangerously away from the realities of what's going on in the world. That's the way I kind of summarize it. And so the FT, when I did a search, did not cover that. Uh, I love rebuttal. reading, you know, uh, speaking of GF, I love reading, you know, the media from Europe. But I, it would be great if they would t actually take a commodity position on this. Why don't, they, why don't they bet by putting money down on peak oil? Because the commodity traders are going to have a heyday with this forecast. It, it's a projection, not a forecast. So they're trying to basically say, we're trying to get rid of oil. And interesting, in the FT article, they go back and say, even with declining demand, there will be a need for investment in oil and gas supply due to the steep decline from existing fields. But they need oil and gas for energy security, which is funny because in another article uh, published just a couple of days prior, talking about how uh, England's uh, wind ener energy is in deep trouble. Um, what they're saying is we need a lot more wind because of energy security. So it's kind of funny how like energy security is thrown around as a term that means something to somebody based on what the narrative is versus what the reality is. So mm -hmm. um, finding this really interesting that we're talking about peak oil. I always think it's also interesting of the answer for non-dispatchable demand assets is more mm. non-dispatchable <laughs> demand. It's like, oh, hey, um, you know, wind power is underperforming. What we need is more wind. And yes, so right. Well, well, didn't the G20 effectively commit to a tripling of renewables, the vast majority by 2035, I believe, or maybe even 2030? I don't remember the specific statement that came out of the G20, but um, the vast majority of which will be wind and solar. And and so we're going to talk here in a little bit about wind's continuing woes. Is the timing of this report coincidental or is it? Well, let's talk about it now because, I mean, you made a comment before we started recording that I've just been amazed by how quickly higher interest rates have started to disintegrate some of these wind projects and chuck had mentioned chuck recorded a podcast with robert smith sometime last 18 year months 18 ago. months ago and robert smith came on the podcast and said that renewables were a zero interest rate phenomenon well, yeah, absolutely. basically a call on interest rates yeah yeah and i mean right interest rates go up game over it looks like he's he's right in that assessment um and then you know you have these like projects like in the uh north sea that are getting the, the blocks aren't getting auctioned on and, you know, companies are calling on federal governments for more subsidies. And like, that doesn't seem like a good plan for building a business. To Seems like a story a week. And so, yeah, there's three and a half factors attributed to why peak oil going back to that. Number one is the rise of clean energy technologies. Why are clean energy technologies on the rise? Zero interest rates. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and, and number, government jack. And yeah. government jack, well, yeah. 
why interest rates but even, are, but why even interest on, rates are actually rising. But even on that jack. front, I mean, renewables aren't displacing oil and gas right now. I mean, it's, no. it's clear that they're additive to oil and gas. So number two reason in their in their projections, structural changes in China's economy, which is hilarious because they're basically saying that China is going all electric, which China is also building more coal plants one a week than anyone two per in the week. world. Two per week. Sorry, two per week. Third, and this is the major kicker, the global energy crisis. What does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and then the the half I was one, hoping my camera was off. <laughs> Y'all were like, what? What? And the half <laughs> one is Europe's shift away from gas after Russian invasion of Ukraine. I don't think, so we talked about this earlier. I was like, Europe's just going, we got to get rid of gas because the only source of gas in the world is Russia. No, they've been buying LNG like crazy. The fact is they're dependent upon Russia for gas, but I see that as a half point because that's not a real issue. And moving away from gas because of this this little war, I, I just don't think is a valid reason, but it is it's definitely a speaking point. Well, more fundamentally, and I was thinking about this over the weekend as I digested what is coming from the IEA, the numbers of people that will be added to the planet between 2020 and 2050 are not trivial. It's 1.9 billion people. 1.2 billion of those will come from a handful of countries in Africa and the rest are coming from Asia. And so India and China. Right. And so the, you know, the, the ability within that time frame, much less between now and 2030, mm to really leapfrog to a lot of which is still theoretical or unproven uh, commercially scalable concept and do it cost competitively accessible and, and abundantly is it's, it seems like on cursory inspection that it's, it's, you know, the, the, the prediction and the, and the thesis are dead on arrival. And, and this is why this all matters. Let's pull all of this together. This is why it matters. We ignore um, CO2 in the atmosphere at our own peril. We really do. I mean, there is some evidence that it's causing uh, increase in weather, climate, all that. So we do need to be thoughtful about that and be aware. Like I said, we ignore it at our own peril. But we've got to come up with a solution that deals with realities of of dispatchable power, China building two coal plants a week. We can't just willy-nilly it and say, oh, we're going to build wind farms. We've got to be thoughtful about this. We've got to know what our existing technologies can actually address. And maybe money is spent better on next generation technologies. Because at the end of the day, there's only so much of other people's money we get to use to solve this. So that's a good point. Chuck. I think that I think that's what. So we're not sitting here being anti, whatever. We just got to be thoughtful about. It. No, we've talked at length about you know what the industry should be doing, the oil and gas industry should be doing, which is fugitive methane. It's flaring reduction or elimination, and you know in the broader category of. Everybody wants to mitigate or eliminate pollution wherever they can. And if emissions is pollution and there's a, you know, a, a practical, ef economically viable way to do something with fewer emissions or lower emissions, then we should do that. And we've tackled this er emissions problem before. Remember acid rain? Yeah. Do you even yeah. know what acid rain is, Colin? Yeah. 
What is it? Love Canal. Oh, yes. Oh, that was, that technically, was I don't know. Right? Technically, I thought you were no, asking no, I mean, like, if I heard is that of it. that something you remember? Is it? I remember hearing about it, but I don't know like technically what acid rain is. You were like a kid. Is. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, yeah. It was almost before your time. I mean, yeah. so acid rain has been dealt with because of emission standards and some other things. Yeah. But the thing is, is like, you know, people bring that up a lot. It's like, oh, it used to be acid rain and the ozone layer, but we actually fixed that by banning CFCs and aerosols. Um, and so that's. And that. we did it with cap and trade on the industrial true midwest but we'll never have an air conditioner in our car even remotely close to as cold when we had those damn things oh man they were great yeah i don't remember what what if we spent a trillion dollars putting together technology and giant scale vessels to go out there and and start making headway against the giant plastic island that's floating in the pacific it's actually the biggest fucking problem that's a huge issue this plastic Did y'all see this study that came out? And this isn't a new thing because I went and looked at it, but um, talking about how essentially there's a, um, I don't know if it's a chemical reaction or if it's a molecule. I'll have to go, I'm telling the story without any information. So we <laughs> call, we call that Monday. But yeah, let, me, let me preface <laughs> with that. But anyways, um, I saw this study come out and I thought it was interesting. I started Googling it and there's even like right now I'm looking at um, an article from NASA back in 2018 that, um, greenhouse gas detergent recycles itself in the atmosphere. And I was actually talking about the study that I saw was about um, how methane and CO2 are actually naturally broke down in the atmosphere. And there's still studies coming out on this um, that we really just don't understand. And it's OH, it's hydroxyl, it's a hydroxyl radical. And it's a molecule made up from one hydrogen atom, one oxygen atom with a free electron. And anyways, I've never heard anyone talk about this and it's super interesting that, oh, hey, maybe. Let's do some research and talk about it next week. Yeah, we should because I saw some study come out and it was from one of the universities and was talking about it. We still don't have a fundamental understanding of how these gases are dealt with. And that goes back to our point that we've talked about a lot on the various podcasts around here that whales are actually one of the greatest um Things for carbon capture. Oh, speaking of the whales and Apple, you know, Apple has taken all their shipments. This is part of their plan from air by plane to sea, the vessel. And I'm like, we're just fucking up the whale population. You know how many whales are killed by boat strikes? It's a ton of them. And just just to rehash, because I love this story, it's basically uh, the average whale will have, I think, 35 tons of carbon in it when it dies sinks mm-hmm. to the bottom of the ocean, which is a good thing. And then about 40% of photosynthesis that happens on this planet is done by plankton. And the greatest inve- uh, environment for plankton is whale shit. So the fact we've taken whales from about 5 to 6 million on the planet down to about 1.2 today, kind of from 1850 to mm-hmm. today, mm-hmm. That's had a real impact, and now we're potentially killing them with our wind farms and apples killing them with ships because young whales are curious about a ship, go up and boom, get bonked and die. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, that's uh, – a lot of nature's not going to be happy about that in the next commercial. Well, I mean, we've – do we need – are we talking about whales? Let's talk about whales. Talk about whales. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I talk about those a lot we've talked show. about sort of the in the wind farms, right? About that. Didn't we talk last week about how there's no the no bid, the auction, yeah. that, 
up in the UK. In the UK, where yeah. where no one bid on it, and and the the CEO of one of the largest uh, uh, renewable companies, RWE, came out complaining about it, saying you know they didn't see any bids because um, the uh, the UK government is not up on inflation because the price for the energy was too low for wind to be competitive. There's other sources that are more competitive, so. They're asking for wind, uh, the, the the bidders to to bet on prices that were too low for them to make money, and so yeah. no one bid on it. Yeah. Um. And so it's funny to hear in that story about how they're complaining that in order to reach UK's climate goals, they need a lot of wind, including energy security and Europe's energy grid. They're concerned about the security of the grid, is you need a ton of wind farms, which is kind of an oxymoron. Yeah. What they don't talk about, and one of the things we were batting around is about how wind farms offshore are killing the whales. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing I think that's funny about what you just said there is people don't want to bid on it because of the price, but all you hear from renewable advocates is how it provides cheap electricity. And I've always thought, I'm like, that doesn't seem like a great business if you have to put billions and billions of dollars into this infrastructure and you're your cell cell point is it produces all this cheap electricity because I'm like, how do you make money <laughs> well, let's well, get, off, off of this? Let's get Senator Warren on this. This sounds like price gouging to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the um, kind of the nail in it, at least from the skeptic side, at least Doomberg is calling the nail in it was in yesterday's piece or Saturday's piece called windbaggery, right? They're, they're calling essentially for the total collapse of when for this and other reasons, but they also cite the, in particular, the whale aspect because NOAA came out earlier in the year and its scientists basically said may have an adverse uh, effect on whales and other marine mammals, but it won't kill them or otherwise impact kind of their long-term fundamental well-being. And there's a documentary, I forget where it is, there's a link to it in that substack um, that Michael Schellenberger pointed out in his podcast um, that there is definitive proof, and this is, this is what was implied or explicitly stated, definitive proof that there's been a cover-up in a, in a campaign of, of lying to, um, to mitigate any uh, correlation of of the increased whale deaths, which you're in the thick middle of it this summer uh, on the Atlantic coast. Well, what's crazy about and, it? And, even... and wind activity, whether it's the increased vessel traffic or, you know, the, the sound um, the sound profile of wind operations offshore. Well, what's even crazy is someone pointed this out to me on Twitter the other day because I was talking about whale deaths up in the northeast in the Atlantic. And they're like, hey, where are you getting your numbers from? Is that from NOAA? And I was like, yeah, you know, it's from this report. And they pointed out that there's this footnote in that report that essentially says that the whales could just be migrating differently and hanging out somewhere else. And you start to look at like scientific organizations like NOAA. And even if, you know, you just take out any malicious activity of hiding data or anything like that, I mean, remove that it's still it's like we don't actually understand shit about anything <laughs> right well, don't don't know what's happening to the whales or i'll where link to a blog i wrote in february on this but ba and i talked specifically about the baleen whales which use sonar to they emit low frequency sonar to communicate 
blah, blah, blah. But when you construct an offshore wind farm, you use sonar to figure out exactly where you want to locate the pilings, et cetera. Mm -hmm. When you actually construct an offshore wind farm, you not only use uh, sonar again, but you're also using popping those loud guns. Mm -hmm. You're sending these seismic guns down below to make sure that where you decided to drill is actually the best place to drill. Those two aspects in and of itself, <coughs> we know already fuck whales up. Yeah. And so maybe it does move the whales, but once a wind farm's constructed, you've got substations underneath the ground, uh, underneath the ocean, mm -hmm. you've got those cables, and we have, there are articles and there's been proof that the whales have problems with those because anytime you have high electric current running somewhere, even though they're shielded, you still get noise. Yeah. And that noise impacts animals. Yeah. And so those three things are not good for the animals. I don't know why everyone's trying to hide it because we know it's No, happening. it's known. That's what people would gaslight you on Twitter. Like, oh, it's not a thing. I'm like, we know this is a thing. And not like, just with like- boats. The Navy like, knows. The Navy knows. The Navy knows. Sonar knows yeah, the sonar, whales. Yeah, they yeah, know that. Yeah, we you, know you that. Use, use the term pilings in the driving process. It's, it's not a quiet process having- driven drive pipe off offshore you know we talk building these large-scale wind farms you're you're doing a lot of that over a long period of time as well are you a pipe driver i was <laughs> no, we're certified, getting that later damn, certified pipe driver so hey the, we're talking the, about price. hold on the sea was angry that day my friend <laughs> greatest seinfeld <laughs> second greatest seinfeld episode at all times so we we're talking about price gouging um yeah go to mike worth i was gonna go to mike worth well, let's go to mike worth <laughs> let's go to mike, oh mike worth. gosh chevron's mike worth predicts hundred dollar oil over on squawk is that squawk box or squawk on the street i don't even watch squawk on the street squawk on, squawk the, street. on the street uh i thought this was pretty funny because we're already at 90 dollar oil so you know predicting go out on the limb there, bud. Yeah. <laughs> 95 if you're talking brent so yeah yeah um mark Mark, tell us Why did he do that? that? Why would you go on TV and call for a hundred dollar oil? What I mean, why would you? I you look. I think uh, I think it's probably this is an opinion uh, in the background. Uh, the administration has been once again calling refiners and and producers uh, to make sure that the the whole system from a an inventory and supply chain standpoint is quote unquote stable. I pick picked that up. I think it was a Reuters uh, Reuters piece that there's a there's an active calling campaign now by the administration because they they see what's coming with respect to where we are now on inventories, which is below certainly below a year ago and below five year levels. And, and so we we talked about it several weeks and months ago that the market's waiting on the show me. Well, here's the show me on inventories. We had a, we had a kind of counter <clears throat> counter seasonal week last year, both uh, last week, both in crude and, and gasoline distillate, but on an absolute basis, we're seeing levels where, you know, if we continue to draw from here meaningfully, it's going to be, um, you know, it's, it's going to be putting upward pressure on was prices. Mike and we're heading into this? an election year. Was he celebrating the $100? Or was he was just saying, hey, based on these fundamentals, I believe it's going to be $100. It, it's just a matter of fact, talking about the fundamentals, supply yeah. is tightening and inventories are drawing. And look, we're at we're in the 90s now. We fully expect to be at 100 pretty soon. And I, I read Dan Pickering's uh, August summary last night. He posted that on Twitter for his um, investor clients. I guess it's for all of his clients, but you know he's – He's 
he's revisiting or or putting putting the notion of hundred dollar oil is not good for demand. It's not mm-hmm. good for anybody. Back on back on the front burner, just so you know, people don't get too giddy and remain cautious with respect to what it could mean for demand erosion and 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 energy stocks. But you know, reality is we're we're seeing what we expected to see absent a recession, right? Mm-hmm. And if you look at rig count, it continues to drift lower, maybe week to week, pops yep. up and down, but we, we were down two again week over week. Last California week, weather, right? Right. Same thing. Down two. What are down you, five. What are you hearing on the street in the, in the, in the oil patch on rig count? Anything? Well, I haven't heard anything. I mean, no one's really talking about it um from what i've seen so i don't know if it's really that noticeable out in out in the permian or not Any, anybody talking about rfk jr's uh fracking ban well that's what I was gonna campaign say. promise was like man that's gonna send oil up to pass 100 um i will say this earnestly to him rfk jr please come on the podcast and let's talk about no, it because say what you want about which one him. dislike dislike it whatever whoever um, whatever you say you about the guy, about he is smart and thoughtful. I want RFK, and I'd want to have a discussion. Look, I want RFK to come onto yeah. the podcast. Either one, no, both, bro. Yeah, not as like, aha, I got you. you no, know? not at all. But I just want to have a thoughtful conversation about energy because here's my thing: if you're a politician, especially a politician that's running for president of the United States, you can't speak with authority on topics that you haven't um, really dove into and talk to people. And here's the thing about the internet is that there's no excuse to be ignorant on these Mm. topics because RFK could put out a tweet. Hey, I want to talk to subject matter experts on energy and boom. Scott Sheffield. Yeah. You could have 20 people, you could have 20 people lined up and you know, if RFK wants to go out to the oil field on the Permian and see what it's about, you know, we can make that happen. And so anyways, he writes this whole Twitter thread. This was his 10 point plan to fix the plastics pollution crisis. So, Back to talking about plastic being, you know, a huge issue in the world, um, which I very much believe it's one of the biggest issues in the world. And that nine rivers in China. Yeah, I mean, basically, I mean, no, the biggest contributor to the plastics island is the Philippines. It's the Philippines, okay. Damn. But I mean, the amount of like microplastics that we're consuming too, it's just it's a problem. We're way too dependent on plastics. But, anyways, um, so he had, so we're all good. We just had a little, we have power, a little glitch there. power surge, but we're still recording on everything. Um, so this was his mess up my sonar. This is his that. ten point plan. Y'all want me to read it out? It's all little one little quick things. But he said, yeah. "I'll support an ambitious international plastics treaty. I will act to restrict hazardous plastics and chemicals. I'll, rep- I'll promote a national bottle bill. I'll nationally coordinate an extended producer responsibility system for packaging. I'll move to moder- modern." recycling facilities i will strengthen closed loop recycling systems and then here's the fracking i will ban fracking which provides the feedstock for most of the plastics produced in the u.s and then and that's a big deal that he acknowledged that because i mean most of the world doesn't understand plastic comes from petroleum well okay yes 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 but listen someone asked me they replied and they said is this true and i said yeah it is true i said most products in modern day life, including plastics, are derived from petroleum. Um, they're petroleum based. And the guy said, yes, I understand that. He said, but 
does the feedstock for most of the plastics in the U.S. come from fracking oil? And I was like, oh, no, it doesn't. I was like, you're right. I was like, that isn't truthful. I said, it's a global market. I said, yeah. actually, we export most of our light-grade crude from fracking and import a lot of heavy crude. Because our refineries are set up. Yeah, handle yeah so the way he interpreted it is that 40, 50 years. We like Venezuela. Well, and, but let's not forget natural gas and the and the plastics well, yes, value yes, chain well, as well. Yes, yes. But well said. to say that plastics are a direct result of only fracking oil and gas isn't correct. Like okay. well, you get you could get rid of fracking and plastics are still gonna exist, right? And one, so, one of the one of the tangents I will take the liberty of going off on on plastics is looking back to the global response, the medical community's response to the pandemic. Would we have wanted to take that on without the huge miracle that is plastics and PPE? Hmm. You don't have surgical, surgical, don't surgical have equipment. Yeah. You, know, you can ask the same question about diesel and jet fuel and gasoline, et cetera. So uh, let, let's, let's, you know, the, the the problem is not the plastics themselves, but it is the lack of of <clears throat> rigorous disposal practices, and it shouldn't surprise anyone that countries and economies that have more to worry about, like the Philippines example, as being the biggest contributor to the Pacific plastic island, than you know. Uh, uh, plastics pollution mitigation. I actually disagree with that. I do think that plastics are a massive problem. It's not just the disposal of them, but it's um, single-use plastics. Like I was in HEB the other day. This pissed me, pissed me off. I'm in HEB, and they have a little wedge of watermelon for sale. And yeah. it's in a little what? A little wedge of watermelon. Like you're just like cut out a little plastic. piece of watermelon. Yeah, and it's in a plastic container. And I'm like, this is fucking ridiculous to have single use plastics like this. And then I'm a big believer that the the sudden increase in infertility rates is due to microplastic ingestion. And so I think that there's two facets to the problem. One, how much plastic that we use, and then two, how we actually dispose of it. Well, it's the purposing of the plastic. So I, I don't think we disagree that much. Okay. So I think the 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 kind of overuse in the micro packaging is beyond silly yeah in yeah. examples like that yeah right so it but it but it takes like on it, it takes on this life of its plastic. own it's like it's got its own fucking skin that's what it's for <laughs> well it takes on this life of its own where now it's not and we've talked about this as well as it relates to fossil fuels and emissions the narrative has moved from capturing emissions from fossil fuels to the elimination of burning of fossil fuels altogether and now that the industry is proving some viability and commercial scalability to carbon capture, wait a minute, we're we we that's not what we meant. We meant let's get rid of it. So let let's you know let's condemn plastics is is kind of the way the the emotional reaction would yeah happen in today's world. Yeah. And that pendulum, you know, I don't think it ever will, but that pendulum could swing too far, and the detrimental effects of not. Yeah. having plastics in some critical areas like medical and yeah. food storage and you know all of that type of of hugely human beneficial aspects well, let's of plastic. Yeah, let's aspects. show the incentive because when I was surfing a lot especially when I was younger I'd take these trips to Mexico middle of nowhere we'd drive we'd take a car and we'd stop in some small town we're like man I just want a coke right now and we'd like I want a coke and oh a coke take the, a coke coca-cola 
or whatever. <laughs> not Pepsi. I'm from the South. Whatever. <laughs> not some Coke. They would not take some the, Coke. The first A-Coke. time this ever happened to me, they'd take a Coke and, and then they'd pour it into a plastic bag. I'm like, what are they doing? And then they'd wrap it around a straw, tie it off, and give it to me. I was like, why? What the <laughs> hell? Because they would recycle the can. Oh. They, yeah, this was more valuable five or ten to keep this yeah. and give yeah. you the plastic. And they gave me the plastic. So I was like, of course. Where do you think that plastic ended up? I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't throw it in the ocean, but yeah. someone did. Yeah, for sure. No, it's, um, <laughs> that's kind of stupid. Um, <laughs> no, that they're doing what made them the yeah, most no, money. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you look at the incentive. Plastic's cheap. Yeah. And I, I would say that if we're, you, you've, I think you've pointed out some things on, you know, why do the, public universities get to keep so much of the of the endowment of wealth that is oh, yeah. oil and gas yeah. royalties and oh gosh in Texas. here we go aggie versus you're about to do a dig at the long no ones. you know you know the you know the aggie joke around that right I love why it. why did why did the aggies get one third they got first choice yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't think everyone on this po- listen to the podcast knows but most of the university of texas and the whole texas university system which includes a and mm-hmm um, receives a massive amount of wealth from university lands, university yeah. lands, which has a lot of oil. And gas Not just land. oil and gas. There's all kinds of revenue, Temper, yeah. everything. Diamonds. Right. We don't got to go on a rant about it, but yeah, I've gone on a rant about yeah, it. Yeah, he's got to times. vote first. So anyway, RFK, if you're listening, please come on the podcast. Yeah. The, the the finishing point was if if there is a kind of redistribution of of wealth for greater good. I'm much more in favor of that transfer from wealthy countries to help poorer countries do things like mitigate plastic pollution. We need to debate the redistribution of wealth for any purpose on a show. Well, I mean, it's still like, I mean, that's something I'm super passionate about, like with university lands is that, you know, that money is extracted. University is is the people. That, that. Public university. If we had the that PPO- value and wealth is extracted out of a place um, in West Texas, and none of that money flows back to West Texas, a place that has some of the biggest underperforming. That's a good point. Elementary schools and high schools, and now you look at UT's endowment fund. You know the the richest endowment fund. UT doesn't need any more fucking money. Um, so, not treating the Permian Basin like an extraction colony and reinvesting back into the place where the, the values are. All right, we can so, debate public education. I, I'm just right. saying I might be in favor of the Plastic Pollution Reduction Act. Oh, wow. Is that where you're getting around? <laughs> That's a really long way. I it. have an idea, and it, it, this has been bothering me ever since we found out he's a pipe driller. Is <laughs> pipe, <laughs> pipe driver. Pipe driver. <laughs> Don't we need nicknames? And should we have our audience? I already have one. Pick what is your sidetrack? Uh, sidetrack. Sidetrack. Wait, sidetrack is your self-proclaimed. I'm fatty. Mike Fraser. Yeah, you're the only one that doesn't. You're have the a only nickname. one that doesn't have a nickname. What's yours? Nimble fatty. Nimble yeah. fatty. Did I'm, you name yourself though? Oh, of course I did. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> Nimble, have, someone has to come up with that. No, no. no. I thought yourself. it was perfect. Nimblest fat guy you ever met. Yeah, you can't change his nickname. That's yeah, his nickname. exactly. And you are frax lap. Frax lap. Yeah. All right. Fair so we'll come up. We'll come up with Tech Tucket. But I was, I was thinking, speaking of pipe driller, it's a setup. We'll work on it. Golly. Surfing fracker. No. I was talking about a big story. In the show, you got BP's loony gets canned for drilling without permits. This is finger of the, finger of the week. 
I don't think we can technically give it finger of the week. Third uh, leg of the week? Yeah, he uh, BP's loony got let go. for. There's an inside joke on this one, too. Inappropriate relationships, and uh, thanks for stealing my joke. I was so proud of that, drilling without a permit. (laughs) Wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe I'm going to get a tight hole somehow. Let me think back of that. I'll I'll tweak that one out. He didn't retire or resign because of inappropriate relationships, because in BP's code of handbook, handbook code, whatever it's called, it's okay to have relationships with other people within the company. What he did was he lied to the board about the nature of those relationships. Okay. Or he didn't, that he didn't were, disclose them. So he didn't the, disclose so the tight hole joke really is so true. To be, to be clear, this wasn't any sexual misconduct in terms of sexual harassment or rape or anything like that. They were consensual relationships that were just with BP personnel. Is that correct? It's yeah. been fairly cryptic in terms of the details, so okay. and it, and it is coming. I, from I think if it was wife, of that so. nature, you probably would have heard okay. about it. Yeah. Okay, so my story on this: I'm running, you know, Kane's private equity funds. Brandon Brooks, the starting right guard for the Houston Texans, is our intern. He randomly called me up, said, "Hey, I want to learn about private equity. <laughs> Can I be your intern? You don't have to pay me. Great dude, best dude on the planet." So he comes down there and comes to work for us. We get Lexi, who transfers in from Chicago and joins our office, and something is going on. I don't know what it is. You can just tell, you know, and no one wants to come tell me. I call my assistant, Stacy, and I'm like, Stacy, what's going on? She goes, I don't have any idea, and I'm like, something. Well, finally, it comes out that Lexi's dating someone in the office, and I call HR and at Kane. I'm like, hey, what's our policy on this? And it's like, hey, it's okay if people date. You just can't have the uh, somebody setting compensation for somebody else. And we went through all that. I said, it's great. And so then I'm sitting there going, well, you know, I think she's dating Brandon. And so I'm kind of talking and I finally, Stacy comes, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know what's going on. Finally, I just call Lexi in my office. She goes, yeah, I'm dating Todd. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I go, is it all cool? Blah, blah, blah. I go, here's the policy. Here's the work. She's like, yeah, it's great. Five minutes later, Stacey's in my office. I've never lied to you before. I'm so sorry. And, all this. <laughs> and, and I was like, hey, Brandon, I'm sorry. I thought you were dating Lexi and, and all that. And I didn't, you know, technically she outranks you because you're the intern, but you are six, seven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. All right. Well, we'll, uh, We'll see who uh, takes over that spot for BP. Be interesting. I do need a see. job, guys. BP. So do Chuck, I. So Stone is there the name in the hat. Co CEOs. So we could do a, a trifecta. Lot of damage. There we right. go. Mark, we Mark. could do a lot of damage in a good way. Yeah. We could three headed Tri CEO, or what would that be? I think it would be. I think it's two in a box because one of us would always be somewhere else. I mean, yeah, exactly. We're just yeah. rotating. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rotate depending on the week. All right. With that, we'll sign out. We'll see y'all next week.